tuning into the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hello, peace be with you, and also with you. And with you. <laughs> just a anyway. blessing. Just a blessing for our audience. I just drove by go. a church the other day, and it was uh, they were doing blessing of the animals. You could bring your dog to be blessed, and uh, huh. I didn't do it because I just didn't, times didn't align, but I was like, that's interesting. So, so uh, uh, do, do dogs go to heaven, Sam? All dogs. All dogs go to heaven. Now, what about cats? I, no comment. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, no I don't know. It'd be nice to, it'd be nice to know, like, I don't, I don't know, in the afterlife, you're, you know, you're greeted by all your all your cats. <laughs> I if you <laughs> love cats, that's great. I just I'm a I'm very allergic to them, and so I think they're very interesting creatures. They're actually very cool creatures. There's like two cats in our neighborhood that are outdoor cats, and um, they're fascinating to watch. They just like run the neighborhood and run amok. Sometimes they meet in the middle of our cul-de-sac or our dead end circle, and they just fight each other. And it's so loud. <laughs> I'm allergic to cats in the same way I'm allergic to coconut, in which I'm not, but I'm just very averse to the taste of coconut. And uh, my in-laws would always cook coconut on something, coconut shrimp, coconut whatever, cream pie. And I eventually just said, y'all know, y'all know I'm allergic to coconut, right? <laughs> they stopped making it because <laughs> they think I'm allergic to coconut. And uh, I don't know if that's mean of me, but I just got tired of eating it. And so I'm not allergic to cats. I just prefer to not be in the company of them. However, I will say, the uh, like, before I go to bed, I'll look at, like, the security system at the office. And I'll just, you know, like, we'll have, like, people in cars just, like, randomly sleeping out back. And be like, ah, this is a weird liability. And, you know, with, like, other tenants in your building. Yeah. Like, yeah I, I, I can't have this. <laughs> And so it's like, I make it a habit. It's like, all right, let's just check, make sure like no one's, you know, camping out again. And uh, we had a cat back there. And so now I, every night I see this cat back there. I'm like, he's kind of cute. So I don't know. Maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe in, in my old age, I'm softening up. Who I knows? think cats are cute. I just, you know, I'm just, when I'm around them, I just kind of like swell up and sneeze. So I have, you know, like a, poor association with them in my brain <laughs> we had a cat I think he last he like he lived to like 18 and holy cow he was nasty all 18 years yeah and so yeah I, I can't I, I can't imagine that that helped the relationship my sister she has a cat and that thing is mean to everything yeah and I was like yeah I, I think I'm good we have a place in town. It's like a place where you can go and like have like I don't know, spend time with a lot of cats. Yeah. What do they call them? Cat cafes? Yeah, cat cafe. Yeah, we have one of those. I have not been. I, I assume you've never been. With I've never reality. been to a cat cafe. No. Do you think uh, the cat cafe offer operates on a little bit of luck as a business strategy, Sam? Uh, well. Yeah, I do, because cats have nine lives, so there's some luck in there. <laughs> Did you... Okay, so you have you have a uh, a young kid. Yes, I do. Your daughter. Uh, 
Are you getting into any of the into the 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 animated movies yet? The only things we watch are uh, Bluey. We love Bluey, and we watch. Then, as far as movies go, she's only seen Nemo. Oh, okay. So that's our extent. And then we did you see the Finding Nemo conspiracy? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. That, uh, what is it? Whatever Nemo's dad is uh-huh. like, he has like imagined like his whole life. Oh, yeah. And like, it's yeah. like Nemo never existed because yeah. I guess like Nemo in another language means no one. Yes. And I it's like, holy cow, that. this is dark. Yeah. You know? Still well, a, there's still a, a great movie. and I can't imagine you would take like a what's your yeah like your, I can't imagine you would take a kid as young as your daughter to see this movie, but the new Puss in Boots is so it's so good, but it's so dark. Yeah, and like the movies themselves, they're fun, they're witty, uh, very much like a spin on like the Z- the Zorro movies, mm-hmm. and uh, essentially. Puss is down to his last life. He has used up his eight life. of his lives. Oh, and gosh. so, like, he's chased around by this, like, ghoul kind of thing that's, like, kind of imitating death. And this is a total spoiler, so skip past <laughs> it. You've probably already skipped past it if you don't want to, <laughs> you know, hear the six-minute rambling at the beginning of this. But, like, it's, like, essentially he's being chased around by this, like, Grim Reaper, which comes down to like it's his own anxiety about like his last life like this is his last life and he doesn't want to die and that is holy like the kids are like oh this is a great movie but then it's just like as an adult you're just like you're just wrestling was so much watching this movie like holy cow so i guess we brought the cat thing back full circle meow well done (laughs) there you go anyway Hopping into the episode, this episode is titled Luck is Not a Business Strategy. Uh Uh, But before we hop into this whole episode, why don't you take us into a little bit of housekeeping, Sam? Woohoo! Housekeeping! Hello, my friends, listener, audience. Thank you so much for bearing with us as we get through our classic type of intro banter. Um, you've made it to this unique time called housekeeping where you can screenshot this episode or past episode, whatever you're on, screenshot it, post it on Instagram, please help us out. We need your help. Post on Instagram, tag for the record mastering, tag at Moses mastering. We will reshare your post, which is cross marketing. It's great for exposure. And more importantly, we get to know you one-on-one, which has been awesome. We continually meet new people every week. Every time there's a new episode, we meet somebody new. We have questions. We have thoughts. We have dialogue with y'all. And I always learn something cool. And also, y'all are freaking sweet. So thank you for being part of the Attack and Release community. Uh, the more you share it, um, the more people hear it, and the better we all finish records. So if you could help us out, do that. Say hi. Don't be a stranger. If you want, like, share, subscribe. It goes a long way as well um, on whatever platform you're on. So that's it. Housekeeping done. There you go. Woo! So hopping into this, meowing, whatever you want to do. What do cats do? What do cats do? They pounce. (laughs) Pouncing into this episode. (laughs) My question for you is have you ever flown by the seat of your pants? Have <laughs> I ever flown by the seat? Let's unpack a little bit more. Have you ever flown by the seat of your pants 
and counted on luck. Or, or in case you're running your business perfectly, mm. or seen other rely, others rely on the, quote, field of dreams method of build it and they will come. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Need me to repeat it? You got it? You I think down. I got, yeah. I got some notes. You're pretty good at this. Pretty, yeah, pretty good. Six, seven years in, whatever. <laughs> I like Almost. to think I'm decent at this. Um, okay. When I first started, I don't want to say I necessarily relied on luck, but it was probably more so a misunderstanding that um, of not understanding like a business plan and model, which I know you'll probably talk about. But I did think there was a lot of serendipitous luck involved in making music work because I did not understand the game and the business in which I was participating in. When I started in the music industry, I was in a band, and that was very much like, oh, if we just make like a good enough song, we'll just be famous and have lots of money, which is potentially possible. That's part of the equation in theory. Great song, people love it, you know, you sell it, you make a lot of money, and you're famous. That can happen. It does happen. There's but, some pretty big one-hit wonders. Yeah, but there's so much that as even as a band for the brief amount of couple of years of doing that and touring and whatever and kind of getting somewhere and then it falling apart. Um, there was so much that I learned quickly about business and labels and publishing and licensing and making a record and pushing a record and touring and, you know, opening slots and tour management and travel. And there was so, it was overwhelming, especially when you're like a DIY, especially people these days, there's so much more even. I remember back then being like, oh, we got to design our own t-shirt and we got to figure out who's yeah. pressing our CDs. And I remember like stuffing the CD into the like the covers because we ordered we from... all burning them? No, we got it from disc makers, but it was cheaper to basically like order bulk CDs not in the CD sleeve. <laughs> so you could order like the case separate in bulk and the CD separate. But if they came together... It was more money back in the day. It's been like 16 Hmm. years ago. So we got, you know, a stack of 500 CDs or like it was like 500 stacks and then just a bunch of album sleeves. And I remember just packing those in and then I put a piece of tape on it because it was like a paper thing because I realized as soon as I put the CD in, it falls right back out (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it was like a paper sleeve. Like kind of the cheaper, not a plastic. I think those are called mm. jewel cases. Is that what they're called? I have no idea. Anyway, it wasn't like your hard plastic case because that was even more. We did like the paper sleeve. But then I had to put a little piece of tape on everyone to make it keep the CD in. Anyway, um, yeah, I think I relied initially on luck and then had a rude awakening of like, oh my gosh, this is like a real thing. Like you got to do real things. You got to have a business. You have to register your band or like you, your, your company. Like you have a partnership within this band. And um, I kind of got rocked on that and that was overwhelming. And then when I got into the studio world, um, you know, and, and especially got into mastering specifically like 14 years ago, there was definitely moving to Nashville um, I heavily thought if I could meet the right person or do the right record that someone would know or work with a major label, then like my business and my career would be set up. And that's kind of like wishful thinking, like luck as well, because I was thinking, you know, I'll just like, it'll just happen and I'll just stumble upon it, luckily, like 
I'm bound to meet someone or get a chance. And once again, all those things are possible. And some of those things have happened to me by putting myself in the position of Nashville. Mm -hmm. But even that was, you know, there was a lot of my initial business. I don't even like calling it a business because it wasn't. It was just like uh, grasping at the air and hoping I would catch something. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it was just... Uh, you know, I was meeting people and I was trying so desperately to just work with anyone and I would, you know, do it for whatever rate initially for like the first year and I realized that didn't work. Um, but yeah, there was a, a long period of time where I definitely probably flew by the seat of my pants. I know that I had no onboard process. I had no, you know, good invoicing, uh, method. I had no good documentation for taxes it just like all went into like our personal account a lot of it was cash back then too or like a check there's no like separation when I first started a business and personal and um I just was like hoping that it would work out and on some level I was resistant I think to learning because all I wanted to do was like the fun parts in theory which yeah. was like I just want to like sit in the studio and take a photo and like bring people to a studio. I remember that like my first year in Nashville when people my friends would come and visit, it was like they I thought it would be cool just for them to see a studio, which is cool. It's an experience. Mm-hmm. But I remember being like, ooh, they'll probably like think I'm really cool if I just like if they can just like walk in the live room, you know, the control room and see like a platinum record. Like that's really cool. And like all of that like <laughs> just kind of weird thinking of on some level for me is, you know, ego and wanting to prove myself and like not not really being sure of like what what am I doing here? What is this business of music and specifically mastering? So yeah, there was definitely a lot of fly by the seat of my pants um for the first few years, honestly, of like meeting older people who I eventually would ask like, how did you do this? How do you make this happen? Like you've been doing this for 15 years, 20 years. How do you do that? Because I'm over here just like being an idiot feels like (laughs) scrambling, trying to just get anybody to work with me. And it's like, they're telling me, you know, I'm booked out for a month and I'm like, wow, that's incredible. So anyway, yeah, to answer the question, I think for me, when I started out, there was a lot of hoping and hoping luck, like, hoping I would just stumble into the right room or stumble into the right person. There wasn't a lot of proactiveness of like, no, that's on me, like my responsibility. It's my business. It's, you know, no one owes me anything, no entitlement. Um, And getting to that stage of acceptance was really hard because I had to look at reality and go, okay, I'm not really making any money here. And I feel like I'm putting forth a lot of effort kind of, but it's not like, the correct effort, obviously, and or I just have no idea what I'm doing, so I need help, but that's kind of embarrassing to ask for help, you think, and then, you know, you tell people you're moving to Nashville to do music, and then you're like, after year one, you're like, I didn't really do music, just like got drunk at the crying wolf. <laughs> like, I just <laughs> did that a lot, like, and and we all just go bullshit each other about what we're doing when we're doing nothing. Um. So anyway, that is my that's my story and my truth, and I'm sticking to it. Um, about luck in business. What about you, Matt? When you, I feel like. Well, did you, you have yeah, like? Uh, did you do the field of dreams thing? 
If you build like, it, they oh, will well, come. Business will just come in. Um, I didn't because I couldn't even afford that. But I would say I, I thought that. I think that gets into the when I first got to ta- to town, walking into a studio where records was made was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. You know, like. Mm-hmm. I just, that's what I'm saying. Like when people would come to town, they'd be like, oh, we want to see the studio you did that project out of, you know, and I'd have to like call the owner and be like, is it cool if I bring my friends over for 20 minutes to like, you know, it's like so stupid thinking about it now. And most of the time they'd be like, uh, no. Or they'd be like, yeah, but it's got to be like when we don't have work going on. Mm-hmm. Um, cause this is a business. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think. For me, when I first got to town, yes, I was very much like, ooh, if I could just have a studio, then I would have a business, you know? And it was just like I was missing all these parts and components that go, that are behind the scenes of the studio, you know, how a studio even exists, how you can afford one, how you can keep it open. Um, but yeah, I, I think I had, I had the whatever advantage of like, my wife and I were so broke that it wasn't even an option. You know, like mm-hmm. we wouldn't have, couldn't be approved for a loan, didn't have any money, didn't really have any taxes, especially when we moved to Nashville. When we moved to Nashville, I didn't get a job. I just was like, I'm self employed. And I remember going to a bank and they were like, because we were like, maybe we can buy a house or like, or buy an apartment or something. And the bank was immediately like, oh, by the way, in Nashville, you need two years of self-employment in Tennessee before we'll qualify you for a loan. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then they were like, but also, we wouldn't qualify you anyway. Because <laughs> you don't make enough money. <laughs> I'll also say that like two years, like I remember having the my other business that I have, and even like two years of having that, no bank would look at you. And right. it's like, numbers weren't bad, but it was just like, you've only been in business two years. Right. I remember... And so it's like, if you think two years is going to do it, it's, yeah. I rem- Yeah, I remember, too, getting to two years <laughs> and being like, ooh, yeah, I'm two years. I'm like, I've take hit it to the, the bank. Yeah, and I like take it to the bank, and they're like, nah. <laughs> Still like, just like, uh, not really. Um, How about two more? Yeah, and I look back on it now, and I'm like, I understand that a hundred percent because it was <laughs> I wouldn't like, have helped me either. It was like real touch and go <laughs> for like the first five years, honestly. Like till you cross that hump and like kind of figure out what you're doing, and you know, it's not so much paycheck to paycheck anymore. But um, but yeah, I the field of dreams thing, I never participated in, but I've seen uh, you know other people that. I'll say had a bit more, I'm not knocking this either, like help, like we all, well, maybe not we all get help, but I've had help in my own ways, um, in different ways. But there were definitely like people that got to town the same time I did who clearly had grown up with money or had a parent that was supporting them um, in their dream. And yeah, there was a handful of people, like three, three people I can think of specifically that all basically got like, killer home studios like day one like moved to nashville vintage king quarter million bucks like done parents paid for it you know and um pretty much all those people went out of business immediately like within a couple years like they stopped making records because they did that method and um it was very interesting to actually and i haven't even thought about this in so long but 
you know, that you have, you can have the studio, have the gear, and then you get like a decent client who has a budget who's like, oh, it's a nice spot. I'm like, oh, nice, you know, nice. You actually have like a couple isolation rooms or, you know, like there's a console and the, you know, a manly mic or something or an Neumann mic. But then you don't know how to engineer anything. <laughs> and you got these kids, you know, back then we were kids in theory, like 21, whatever, like, and you're like, oh yeah, I'll produce your record. It's like, you don't know what you're doing. You got all this gear, all these tools. We have no idea how to capture drums, right? You have no idea what in phase, out of phase is. You have no idea like how to comp a vocal, right? And so then you just like start crapping the bed with like some decent mm. clients. And then those decent clients are like, I'm never coming back here. And then yeah. Nashville is such a small town that like people talk. And then if you get a bad reputation or like, you know, there's like a... There's a saying in town, you know, people are like, oh, it's daddy's money. You know, like there's mm-hmm. there's studios, there's people in town that are known as daddy's money. And it's like, we don't touch them, you know, because you know it's, they're not capable of executing. Whether or not that's fair to say or label people, that's reality. And the number of, there's a studio recently I just sent to you, Matt, that was mm-hmm. daddy's money. <laughs> that is for sale, all of it, including the gear. And it was a daddy's money situation. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm sure there's daddy's money studios that have been successful or people that learned well, you know, or learned quick. Um, And I'm not knocking generous parents either. Not knocking that at all. Um, But yeah, the, the build it, if you build it, they will come. I've seen countless people from a mastering standpoint buy the expensive speakers, the expensive gear, and then they're like, I have no clients, you know, or I have very few clients and my skills not where it needs to be. And the other nine tenths of a business, you know, buying the equipment, when you look at other companies, that's what I always, I always look at other businesses, like buying equipment is just like not the thing of the company. Like it's, and in music, we're like, ooh, you got a bunch of gear and it'd be like going to a, you know, a printing plate, like a graphic designer, like a Kinko's and like getting up really excited about like, copy machines but it's like of course we have copy machines (laughs) so anyway there's a very interesting thing about like this fascination of gear and if you build it they will come i do think too and i want to hand this off to you really quick here but i think 20 years ago based on my understanding there was a lot of benefit to if you build it they will come in the mastering world of like if you built a really great room that was like a quality control um you know, it's why people too, like 20 years ago, used to really go and record in studios because it was very difficult to to actually make a record at all outside of having like a big facility and a tape machine and a console. It's very difficult to do that. Um, so I think, you know, if you build it, they will come. was probably a, a decent business model 20 to 30 years ago in the music industry because it wasn't mm-hmm. cool. It wasn't cool to make records, really. Um, not like it is like today. And you really didn't have much of an option 20 or 30 years ago because you just, there were no home recordings, no computers, you know, on the level we have. So I think now though, the idea of if you build it, they will come is, is pretty naive, I'll say, unless you have like already a really big following and you're trying to expand your business. But even then, it's not a given. So, those are my thoughts on that. It's kind of a fun, interesting topic. Um, what about you, Matt? I feel like you were probably never a 
uh, run your business on luck. You just seem like you got business down. <laughs> uh, I mean, I won't go that far. Mm. Um, I will say that I feel like when you and I kind of entered um, this game, let's say professionally, yes. Um, I think it was the tail end of when you could, and I mean nothing derogatory in saying this. It's not derogatory what I'm about to say, but it could come across as it. But I think it was kind of the tail end of when you could like buy a ton of gear and make a few social media posts and then get clients because of that. Yes. Um, because in their head they knew what like a like oh I can't wait to hear what that API twenty five hundred sounds like right. on my mix and it's yeah. like. Um, I feel like we were, you and I came in at the tail end of that, and I didn't really have a full desk until all of that was like <laughs> past us. Right. And so it's like you do need to have a bit of a plan and how you're reaching out to people and whatnot. I was also thinking of this. I don't, and I would love to hear from uh, some of the people who are. Uh, older and who have been in this a lot longer about their take on this. But I'm curious, it's like right now it's like I can find an artist or a mix engineer or producer that I like and I can message them and they may get back to me, they may not. Um, I'm curious if there's like a certain age where like it's creepy for me to do that. And it's like, am I going to age out of like because it's like right now, I could find a female artist who I really like what they are doing, right? And but it's like if I'm like a, if I'm like in my fifties or something like that, and I'm kind of relying on that method and not really having things established by then, it's like I feel like there's like a little bit of a creepiness factor to where it's like my wife might also not appreciate me reaching out to a twenty, thirty something year old female up and coming artist, and so. I was thinking about this driving around the other the other day. I can't remember. I think I was coming back from a road trip or something. And I was like, yeah, you really... And it's like how your plans essentially need to develop as you develop. And uh, I mean, perception is like, that's the first thing that happens. I mean, like say you see somebody and it's like, not saying that people are inherently judgmental, but, you know, within the first... It's very known, documented, like psychological science that generally within the first few seconds of seeing somebody, you kind of like have a mental, like you kind of have them pegged mentally of like what you're, like what you're going to get, which is, it's bad inherently, (laughs) but it's also kind of fun because it allows for you, if you were the one essentially kind of being, let's say, examined, you have the opportunity to surprise mm-hmm. and to uh, gain the upper hand in it. Um, but all that being said, uh, you probably shouldn't count on luck and cold calling to be your only like option for you know business development and whatnot. As far as me, let me reread my own question to you. Um, have I ever flown by the seat of my pants? In in the beginning of this, I and I mean in general, I'm a very calculated person, and almost to a fault. So like I'm, 
I'm not a planner, but I'm a planner. Like I like putting all the things in place for something to come in, and I'm like a fantastic delegator. Mm-hmm. I can get everything in place, and then I have that thing in place, and then I hand it off to the executor. And then this person goes out and executes it. <clears throat> um, I am fantastic at doing that. But it's like, and I can say like, I, I mean, I know you're not like this because you're very good at like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this done. I'll buy, like this is like a thing, like my my wife has a forerunner, and we don't like the stock headlights that came in it. So I was like, yeah, I'll upgrade them to LED headlights. <laughs> Those darn headlights have been sitting in my garage for the better part of a year and a half. And then I'll come across this box cleaning off like, I have this whole like work area and I'll be cleaning it off and I'll come across and I'm like, why haven't I done this? This is like such an easy swap. And I I don't know. Like I am not the best as far as executing. However, on the other side of things, I'm really, really, really analytical about how I want to proceed. And I generally will create a plan. And so whenever I started, I'm not going to say this is the right way to start. And I've been having to re-examine this quite a bit because uh, through some mentorships that I'm a part of as the mentor, which it's also making me examine that, man, I kind of need to be a mentee. And I'm realizing in my life at 34 going on, oh, 35 here soon, in like a month, <laughs> um, I like, I'm not being mentored and I'm not being fed. And so that whole, like the whole mentorship thing is like, you, you know, you come across those whole things of like, well, who the hell are you, Matt? <laughs> to be doing this. Like, I remember I graduated college and like, there was like, someone tried pulling in me into like one of those, like, what do they call like, like MLMs, but mm-hmm. it was like for selling life insurance. And it's like, it dawned on me, I got certified and everything. And I was like, wait, I'm like 22 years old. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. And I'm trying to convince people that they need this like security asset. Right. And it's just like, and so that's kind of me now of like, wait, who, who am I to like mentor people when I am currently not like, like, it's like, what is feeding me? Mm-hmm. Um, so getting into all of this. I was very analytical. You know, you get into it. I bought all the books and I decided what information I was going to rely on and what information I was going to throw in the trash. And um, who am I going to follow? Who am I going to kind of have them be my mentor without them knowing they're my mentor by the content they're putting out? I mean, we all do that. Yeah. Um, and it's how we all generate opinions. And it's like, okay, now what platforms am I going to do this on? And I was like, okay, I'm familiar with Logic. I'll stick with the Logic. And I was like, eh, I don't really care for Pro Tools for mastering. And it's like, I was just, you know, just kind of like like fudding around a little bit. And I was like, I like Ozone. I can kind of get everything in one package of like really learning. Like I, at that time, I was considering ozone, mastering grade compression, mastering grade equalization, and I still think it's really good. And uh, I mean, we just did the whole th- like the whole episode with them, so mm-hmm. yeah, we think it's we think it's pretty good. <clears throat> I believe this was like ozone six as well, when it was really geared just towards mastering engineers. 
And I would literally find MP3s or really whatever, and I would just like like teach myself and just I was like maybe I'll reach out to the band and be like that like I ripped off their master and I was like hey I remastered your master with your master's master and this is so much better my way and I never did that but I was totally like man should I do this and I was like no nah, I can't go doing that but it's like those thoughts you have of like like oh look how much better I made it sound it's right. like yeah but this was their master which mm-hmm. was their thing as done and so we all have those kind of thoughts of, yeah. And I have this whole thing of like knowledge over time. And like, you think you're like top dog, like, you know, a few weeks into it. And then you get a few years down the road and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much I don't right. know. And uh, I actually, and I have learned that it is a psychological concept. I can't remember the actual graph, but I was drawing this like back in college and like, and I was like seeing little episodes of this kind of play out, whether it was leadership or whatever. Learning front of house, I was learning all of this. And I, you know, you get into front of house real quick, you get some some good mixes, and you feel yeah, you kind of like you you got a little bit of sass in your step. And then uh, you kind of get into like a new room that you don't know, and they're using systems that you don't know, and you're like, oh, I've never, I've only worked on a pre-Sonus board before, and. Uh-huh. And it's like now you're getting into like Digico and like Midas boards and and it's like, oh, this is this is like familiar but not the same. And then you're getting into all this like RF issues and you're like, maybe I don't know what I know. And then you're get looking at like, wh- why do I need to learn phase of spe- between speaker relationships <laughs> and venues? And yeah, and then like you, you, you come down off of what is affectionately termed as Mount Stupid, and then you enter into a place of the Valley of Despair, and then it's kind of like it's a slow, gradual ride up throughout the rest of your career out of the Valley of Despair, and the whole time you're like, man, I just don't know how much I don't know, and it's like kind of like a fear that you have, and it's not like an anxiety, but it's like you're definitely proceeding a little bit more cautious, and don't get me wrong, some people decide to make a career on top of Mount Stupid, and that's totally fine, but caution is to be exhibited around like those types of like people who choose to reside there yeah. uh, because there's arguably blind confidence. Is there knowledge and skill at like a top Mount Stupid? Sure. Will you learn while you're up there? Yes, but your confidence may get in the way. The ego might get in the way of what you think you know. But like the more I'm kind of like like, you know, climbing out of the valley of despair, it's kind of like, well, wait, like, I'm having tubes start to do something weird. No, no, I don't know how to calibrate my stuff. And like, I have this like, I have this like really, one of my manly pieces is a, like a serial number that does not exist in their like catalog. <laughs> and I, I think it was my very mew. And I bought it from a guy, I think his name was Van Gary. Um, and it was like, I guess like one of their one of Manley's test rigs, and I guess he was really good friends with like Manley's tech, who mm-hmm. always looked after this piece. Well, if you look on Manley's website, they're like, yeah, these are the tubes you need between these serial numbers, and there's like three or four batches of serial numbers to correlate to the tubes. My serial number does not exist in this realm of serial numbers, and so it's just like, what do I do? And so it's like, all right, back down to the valley of despair we go, and it's just like, man, I'd love to know how to work on some of this. And uh, 
Yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Of like, I know enough about electronics to have something completely not work once I open it, yeah. and uh, never work again. So, I know enough to talk to a service department <laughs> about like <laughs> what should happen. So, have I ever flown by the seat of my pants? I mean, sure, who hasn't? But um, don't allow yourself, like, if you feel like, oh, you got, like, this big ego, allow yourself to understand that you, like, there is a lot that you don't know in, like, the whole realm of everything. Um, And it's, like, as technology evolves, it's, like, you choose to allow yourself to associate with certain evolutions of technology. And uh, while this is not that episode, it's like Atmos came out and I just made a business decision that it's like, this is not a technology that I believe is relevant to my market. And that's not like nagging anyone who did get into that for their own market because a lot of people have been profitable in that endeavor. But I just saw it as this is not an avenue that we are going to be taking, like, period, and we're going to be moving forward. And if I lose clients because of that, then that's fine. Um, and it's like, I don't want to be, like, oh, old and stuck in my way kind of thing. But it's like, you know, that that right there I don't think is, like, a stubbornness. I think that was just a business decision and recognition of that. And, I mean, there are still people out there who are, like, doing, like, Atmos work every day, day in and day out, a lot of back catalogs and stuff that needs to kind of – uh, that needs to hit specific label requirements in order for that to fly that way. And that's cool, but that's just not my model or my clients and really what they need. Um, so there's a bit of flying by the seat of the pants. Um, the field of dreams method, this is such a long first question. <laughs> um, I mean, my friend Angel and I, he he kind of helped me build my studio and we were totally horrible influences on each other because he'd be like, man, think of how cool this would sound. I'd be like, damn, that would sound really cool. And he'd be like, I bet you won't get it. And I'd be like, yeah, I bet I won't. <laughs> and then I'd be like, hey, guess what I just bought? And he'd be like, no way. And then like we'd geek out about something and be like, yeah, it wasn't all it was chopped up to be. And so, I mean, there's that as well. So there's that whole thing. So. I think this is kind of the end of, you know, this is my monologue, apparently. Great. Um, We should, I guess, hop into, (laughs) I guess, the last part of this episode. (laughs) Do you actually need a plan as you move forward? And I guess where a lot of this, where I want to go, is you, so you have people kind of getting into this and people who let's say, are getting into this to, like, year five. Mm -hmm. And year five, it's like, if you're hitting year five, you're probably finding a pretty decent stride. And you're probably not just, like, sitting around waiting for business to come in. You've probably figured it out. But you probably also might need a little bit of a plan. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but let's chat, right? Let's chat with, like, some of the people who are kind of getting, like, into this like how do you kind of like create that plan just so that like you're not operating on luck i actually had a conversation with a good friend of mine yesterday or the night before literally about this concept yeah but i want to stop talking for a moment (laughs) um 
Sam, do you like getting into this up to year five and I mean even up to year 10 and post, do you need like a plan of some kind about how you're going to proceed and client development? How like does this plan, how should it evolve yeah. to fit markets and lifestyle? Um, let me let you talk for a while. Yeah. First thing I want to say, if you're at year five and you've had, you know, any growth year over year, um, you're a lot closer probably to where you want to be than you think. Because when I mm-hmm. look at my year five, year, year like four through six were really big years for me personally um, of making that transition from, oh my gosh, like am I going to quote unquote pay my bills to, okay, the work is coming still. <laughs> like <laughs> I have some clients. I haven't scared them away. Yeah, like they keep coming back and some of my clients that I've had for four or five years are now growing too. So they were doing one song a week and now they're doing three, five years later. So now it's like, oh, we're all kind of growing. And in that you'll have, uh, you know, you'll have clients that leave you too. You might transition out of clients or clients might quit or move on. So if you're in business for five years, you've probably experienced that or will experience that. And I would like to encourage everybody that you are closer to the other side than you think in a good way. Um, Because when I look at my years, one through four, and then like four through six, um, if you're growing, say, at a five to 10% rate, um, year over year, the first four or five years, it's kind of like, ah, you know, it's it's good. You know, it's kind of working. I was making 20 grand, and then I made 22 grand, and then you're like compounding at 10%. But then after like five or six years, the compound on that number can be quite large, especially if you mm-hmm. do do a rate increase as well. And most people are like, yeah, you know, you deserve that. Or you, you'll you probably find too that you'll find clients that want to pay that, um, which is a whole interesting thing, but psychology. But you can you can start to kind of breathe a bit more and kind of be like, okay, this is going well, I think. You know, people are coming back. I've got some, you know, I've got a thousand songs out there now and maybe more than that. And you're kind of like, I'm a mastery engineer and you've got taxes filed like under your business now for a few years <laughs> and there's money there. Um, most likely there's a little bit of profit um, depending on how you're structuring yourself. But um but yeah, it's you need to know that you're closer to where you want to go than you think if you feel like you're kind of stuck or like, man, is this ever going to really happen? Um, and then the other thing would be you definitely need a plan because I remember once I got past kind of the paycheck to paycheck feeling or like, oh my gosh, I hope enough work comes in um, feeling to then being on the other side and accidentally going in and Matt you've said this and I've said it before it's you know stress with money stress without money that idea and you can kind of get to the other side quickly and start panicking of like oh my gosh I hope I don't lose all this now that I've built this for five years and it seems to be working and people seem to like what I'm doing and I am making you know some decent money on it whatever that means for your lifestyle um, you can get to this like grip tight feeling of like, oh my gosh, I hope this doesn't go away, which is, I'll say a normal feeling, but it can become unhealthy. 
And that's where I think a plan can really bring peace of mind. And for me, that's when, you know, probably years, uh, three, four, five is when I started doing, my wife and I would do like annual meetings. Like, here's what we made. Here's what I'd like to make this year. Okay, what does that mean? What are we doing with our money and time? And okay, I want to do that. I want to make 10 grand more. So I really only need about, you know, two more studios or blah, 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 or this amount of mixes and kind of writing stuff down, kind of a more goals, but goals are not necessarily a plan. So goals are just kind of like these things you want to do. And then you have a plan, which actually gets you to those goals. So that's another thing. I think a lot of people like year five to 10, like really establishing yourself, kind of getting up into that Uh, Like, this is probably a career for you. You know, 10 years in, you're probably doing maybe a little bigger records, working with some bigger mixes. You mixers, you yourself might find yourself in the weird spot where people come to you, which is an interesting transition of when I say that, like, other master engineers come to you and they're like, you're a great master engineer. How do you do this? And you're like, me? Are you talking to me? Okay, cool. And you have that kind of transition, which is fun to, like, own that and, like, celebrate it and still remain humble, but celebrate it as well and be confident in what you've done, what you've built. And a plan is very much needed. And so for me, I, you know, we started putting reverse engineering, you know, on everything I wanted to do within my business pieces of gear I wanted to buy to help me, you know, increase productivity, get a better product, be able to solve these problems quicker, better, um, you know, investment into the room, acoustics, monitors, converters, um, you know, all that got put into the plan. And from a business standpoint, part of my plan was, okay, you know, you you can quickly realize, well, the more people, the more right people, so target audience, if you're five years in, you've probably, whether or not you know it, you probably have a bit of a target audience or a genre or a sound So it's important for you to kind of review like, okay, what are the kind of records I keep doing? What does it kind of sound like? Are they aggressive? Do I make them more aggressive? Are they a bit more like 3D? Am I kind of like a hi-fi guy, smiley face? And none of that's Mm -hmm. right or wrong, but I've talked to a lot of master engineers when I kind of ask them like, and we've done episodes on this, like what's your sound or what do you kind of do? And so many people are like, I don't know. You know, I don't know why people hire me. And that's one of the biggest things I think for like making a plan is requires you to have clarity on your business. So who are you? What are you doing? What do you do? What do you do well? And then if you want to quote unquote like scale your business within, you know, yourself, you can make a plan of having better onboarding, offboarding, invoicing, removing friction, doing all those things will take you from years five to 10 and beyond and also increase your productivity, probably decrease stress, increase client satisfaction, and increase the amount of records you do. So I think you've got to have a plan, um, you know, and that can look, that'll look different for everybody out there, whether you're single, whether you're married with partner, kids, whatever, like, you know, everybody's got different desires in life. And that's got to be part of this plan is, My wife and I have very specific things we want to do. And I bet if I asked you, you would have very specific things you desire that I don't care about. And that's great. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. My my wife and I are saving and investing, doing certain things because we want to do certain things where I know Matt's like, I love that you love that, but I don't care about that. That's not important to me. And that's great. That's fine. But 
you've got to, within yourself, uh, with this plan and business, you need to make sure that you take some time to suss out, like, what do you want in life beyond business? Because your business, just like money, is like a tool. It's a resource, and it can take you places and do things for you and open doors, and it can buy some happiness, and it can do X, Y, and Z. Um, And so you've got to know personally, on a personal level, what is this business doing for me on a personal level? Because it's obviously you working it, and you're making money, and then you spend it in certain ways. And um, you need to have like an accountability, responsibility, and good stewardship of that, um, of that money, of the business, of the clients that you get. And so that kind of the plan is shaped heavily by your personal. This is just my opinion, and what I kind of do is my plan is heavily shaped by my own personal desires. Like, what do I want to do here while I'm on Earth? You know, with my wife now, my daughter. What do I want to create? What do I want to do? You know, dream big, write it all down. Then kind of put some numbers and time around that. You know, it costs this and do that. You know, this year, that year, five years, you know, ten years. And then I kind of look at my business and go, okay, where's my business at? Okay, it makes this, you know, costs this to do this. And I kind of just punch in numbers of like, okay, if I do X amount of records for this amount of money, it equals that. If I hired someone, okay, I need to do X amount of records just to pay them. And then the return on that, could I make better use of my time and money, you know, investing that somewhere else while maintaining the same amount of records? So it's all these kind of conversations within my head of, what am I doing? What do I want to do? And how can I have fun and be a, you know, a healthy whole human while doing it? So that's my monologue on a plan. Matt, what do you think? You're, mm. you're five. You need a plan, right? And beyond? Yeah. Well, do you want to talk at all about like kind of developing a plan getting into this? <sighs> Why don't you talk about it? That's, it's currently what I'm, I'm trying to evaluate because the market has changed. Okay. Since I did it. Yeah. Um, as far as people getting in, and I am still like, like very, very early evaluation. I, I don't think I would go to like the, like the big studios in town and stuff like that. And I think like me personally... If you were kind of getting into this and like you're at the point where like you've done your research and I mean I would at least make sure you're kind of like coming off of Mount Stupid to kind of keep that terminology going on. I need to really look up this this chart. It's like a legit psychological thing about like knowledge over time. I've I used to express it via like sticky notes and yeah. I think I've showed it to you several times. Yeah, yeah. Um but essentially I would make sure you're kind of coming down off the mountain, not like like pit falling, but like definitely to where like you have a little bit more humility in it, um, like knowing that hey, you might not make the perfect record every time, right? Um, and that's okay because it's the artist's vision and not yours. Um, I would say <clears throat> after you've done your whole research, after you've found a handful of things that you can practice on. Um, I would say, I would say start with like individual artists, smaller artists, 
And I don't even want to say like people who could potentially have lower expectations, <laughs> but that's kind of the avenue I'm going on. Mm. Um, but like people that you could also grow with. I don't, and it's like, because I remember kind of early on burning some of those relationships because I may have seemed like I was further along than I actually was. And I don't ever, I'm very honest about how long I've been doing this. I mean, I'm coming right up on 10 years. Um, I don't really know like the month of the year, but I know I like, like I like, well, I was like really like starting to get into clients at like 2014. And so it's like, I'm just like, okay, January. Um, and so I was like, okay, January is my, my 10 years. Um, and I do think I kind of burned some pretty good clients early on that I'd like to be working with now and that I probably will, like, will need to reach back out to, um, and so I would probably start with people who are definitely kind of starting out as well, um, on the, on the artist front. And I don't know if I would burn like more of like a mixed client Then as you're into like maybe three years kind of into it, maybe even two, sure. Go to mix engineers, go to producers to where like, yeah, you can offer a pretty good product, but also like to people that are right around the same level where you are. When you do get around to that five-year level, Sure, branch out beyond that. And you can even do it before given your skill level. And in all honesty, this whole mastering thing is based really around your personal taste. People are hiring you for your taste and for you to impart your taste on what's going on and your bias on what's going on. Um, so as far as starting out, I think that's I think that's what I would say. Um Okay, plans, 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 plans. Let's go to plans. Let's look at some plans. Sam, Sam, plans. Okay. <clears throat> it doesn't change. It doesn't change year to year. Um, let's go. And it's always like this this screenshot that I'm always, I don't know why I'm always like caught off guard. It's like, oh, we're going to do this today? It's like, no, we do this every darn year, Matt. Uh, uh, my phone's all being weird. Plans, plans, plans. We should have made a plan to have this thing all put together. I had it when I was over in China. I don't think it was 2019. I think it was 2020, but I'll find it. I rented a tea room. Oh, it is 2019. I rented a tea room when I was in Dongguan, China, and I took like four or five hours, and I made my business plan, and I made a template business plan that I tell everyone, hey, the irony is that it's like 2020 business plan is at the top, and 2020 is <laughs> a year that it's just like, yeah, throw that out the window. Um, so it's very easy, very simple steps. I can send it to you or you can just listen to what I'm about to say. At the very top, you write your business name and then you write your target market. And what's your target market? It's who you want to work with. You should probably also tailor it to your experience level. I think everybody should do this every year or at least have some type of idea. And in general, if you make a plan, is planning manifesting? I don't know, but you're kind of putting out into the world that you're going to do this. If not the world, then yourself. So you're going to say who you're going to work with. List three things. Things, people, whatever. And then you have your projected and targeted workload. Um, the money and the sources essentially is what this is. Like how busy do you want to be and how busy are you capable of being? Um, in the beginning, this may be difficult to project. Coming like 10 plus years into this, I know exactly how busy I need to be. I know that 
I cap out, and it's like you see, like some people, are like oh, I do like three hundred songs a month. I do this many, whatever, hundred songs a month, and it's like me. I cap out at thirty songs a week. I have another business that I run from nine to five, and it's like I run finance operations, like long term operations and marketing, along with a handful of other product development and other stuff that I do. And so I know that I cap out at thirty songs a week. That's just kind of my limit. I don't take my work home. I like this is the time that I have allocated, and it's worked really well. I like that. Um. So you should roughly know that. Um, abbreviated marketing plan, roughly how will you be found? That's all you need to write. Th- write three things. Um, I like this next part a lot. Uh, who's your competition? But also, you can pivot that to be like, you're not really my competition, you're kind of my community. Because, you know, the the whole African proverb of like, you can like, you can go fast alone but you can go far together. And so maybe it's not your competition, but it's actually your community, and it's all about how you establish that relationship. And essentially, what do I mean by that? It's who else is doing what you do. Um, The next three parts are probably some of the more difficult parts. Um, And I actually, in recent years, I have switched this around. Um, So I am changing it around here. And actually, right after our last business episode uh, last year when we did this, I <laughs> changed it around right after that because I was like, no, I think the other <laughs> way is better. Um, you, know, you essentially need a five-year goal. Ten is a little bit difficult for me. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bit lofty, and I so I don't, really, I don't really do that. Um, so I think you need a five-year goal. Your long-term dream, where do you want to be in five years? And just write like one or two things. Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't have to be anything. Just kind of two two little bullet points, um, and so that is like, and the way that I would like respond to people because I I told them after they asked me, hey, can I get this? And I'm like, yes, but reverse this part of it. Your five year goal is literally like throwing a dart at the map of like, okay, we're doing a road trip to this point, uh, and then after five year goal, you have uh, your three year goals. Um, so you have your long-term dream, and then you have your what are you working towards. Your three-year goals are essentially going to be like um, like your highways that are going to take you to like that. And so essentially what we're going to be doing is we're kind of creating a roadmap right now to that destination point of five years. So your three-year should somewhat point to your um, – uh, yeah, your three-year should point to your five-year. And then you have your immediate goals, your one-year goals. What are, like, where are you headed short-term? It's like, what are you plugging in the GPS? Like, what are all the turns that you need to make? And what are you? what can you do immediately this year that will impact your three that will then, like, directly deliver you to your five? And, like, here's the thing, man. It's not linear. Like, life is... Very back and forth and zigzagged. I mean, very evident with the 2020 business plan, at, like labeled at the top of this thing. Um, so that's pretty much how I term and define it. Um, I do think that everybody should review their stuff annually and just kind of like, hey, where am I on like this course? I haven't been the best about doing it recently if I'm like speaking like completely honestly. And it's like, that's fine. Um, 
But I will say, like, in my other business, like, anytime we've made a plan for how we're going to move forward, we always look back at that initial plan that we made whenever we're making future decisions. And we're like, is are we going to deviate from this plan we made back in January? Like, in April, there's a very big pivot point where we may divert. Do we still want to hold on to this plan? Yes. Okay, then how does this decision we're about to make relate to the plan that we made? And so there's uh there's a lot of that like back and forth and I and it's always it's always been it's it's really kept a lot of the randomness at bay. It's really kept like us on the path that we wanted to by always going back to that like tangible plan that we had written out. And it's like this year let's say is like You can plan like this year is not a growth year. This year is not a year to like build clients and all this other stuff. This this year is a plan to do, uh, like like you got a lot of other stuff going on in life, and it's like this is kind of like a sustainment year. Um, and I mean, I talked about at the end of last year. It's like when I, I really don't like talking about this like on air, I suppose, but it's like when my wife got the diagnosis that she did like a few years ago, my 2022 plan or 2021 plan, whatever it was, went completely out the window. I had a, I had a plan. I knew where I was going to go. And it's like, I didn't even know if I was going to still be able to do this podcast. And so you can always look back to that plan and be like, is there any way we can track to it? And it's like the plan that year was like, just like keep everything going. And like I, I let my big clients know, I let Sam know, and we're just like, hey, let's just take it like one step at a time. And so it's very much like what happens when life happens. But it's like just kind of um, make a plan, take it slow. And uh, Sam was a really good sounding board during that time. So appreciate your friendship. Of course. Um, so don't be upset if the plan goes awry, but just have a plan. Um. We're kind of like five seconds until we need to wrap. Do you want to say anything else? <laughs> no, I I feel like with this episode, you know, this is like a good start. And for people like that want to know more, like hit Matt up or hit I hit hit I up, hit I up, hit me up, and uh, we can talk more because you can't really cover everything in one episode anyway. Yeah. But yeah. I think this is a great great place to to stop to wrap. And, cool. Uh, you know, we can have more conversations. Hit us up. I mean, like the the big thing is like it's it's the title. That's the actual advice. Yeah. It's like luck is not a business strategy. Don't fly by the seat of your pants. You can probably only do it for so long. Um, but let's uh, let's wrap there. So if uh, if you hear the sweet beat cue up in the background, uh, that was made by the one and only Sam Moses. Uh, please just tell them thank you, if not for anything else, but for me. I'm just eternally grateful for how awesome these episodes always sound. And I know, like, you were asking me for, like, hey, send me the episode that we did, like, two or three weeks ago. And, I, like, every time I send it to you, I'm like, man, I'm, this is going to sound freaking sick whenever it gets back. I can't wait to hear what you do with it. And so I'm just really appreciative of it. And so you just saying thank you to Sam would be an extension of my gratitude. And so I appreciate that. Um, if you need a mastering engineer... Uh, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For The Record Mastering. We would both love to love your music and to take it across the finish line, put a bow on it, and uh, help you along that music journey. Um, 
Let's see. If you like what we said, if you wouldn't mind leaving us some stars, some likes, some comments, uh, DM us. We would really love that. If you wouldn't mind just taking a screenshot of this moment and just posting it saying, hey, these guys just put out an awesome episode. I really like it. I'm going to make a business plan this year uh, for next year. And it's like next year's going to be my best year. So um, we would appreciate you just sharing that. And uh, yeah, besides that, I, uh, I do you have anything else for the people, Sam? No. I'm great. Cool. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one, and we will see y'all in the next episode. Ta-ta. Ta-ta indeed. Bye. Bye. Bye.